As you're uh, being seated, I'd love for you to have Isaiah chapter 35 open in front of you. Isaiah chapter 35. Isaiah is in the Old Testament. It's uh, basically in the middle of the Bible. If you're new to reading, studying, learning uh, about the Bible, Isaiah chapter uh, 35. This is one of my favorite Sundays that we as Patriots and Browns fans have a common enemy known as the Steelers. So I this is one of my favorite Sundays, so we get to cheer for or cheer against the common enemy known as the Steelers, and we'll see how it goes. I'm not feeling good about my Patriots, but we'll see how it goes. So uh, Isaiah 35, I want to take a few moments just to read these verses before we dive into them and learn from them. Just 10, basically the whole, it'll be the whole chapter, uh, just 10 verses of it. Let me read for us as we get going. It says, the desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord and the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the, weak, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong and do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be open and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool the thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the haunts where, the, where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. The unclean will not journey on it. It will be for those who walk in that way. Wicked fools will not go, not go about on it. Nor, no lion will be there. Nor will any ferocious beast get up on it. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord will return. They will enter Zion with singing, everlasting joy will crown their heads, and gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. I want to pray for us as we dive into this prophetic poem that Isaiah penned several thousand years ago, and still is alive and speaks to us today. So I want to pray as we um, dive into God's Word. Lord, your Word is powerful. Your Word is alive. Your Word can shape and confront and convict, bring life. And so God, I just pray that um, we be very aware and in tune with what you are saying to us through these words, this prophetic poem uh, with imagery and metaphors and pictures and of, of a desert that is now blooming with wild, with grass and flowers and bodies that, eyes that can't see now see and, and this promise that you'll come and this everlasting joy. God, I pray that we be people marked by joy, authentic joy found in you and that would overflow to those around us in our homes our neighborhoods, our, the friends, our family. 
We just don't want to talk about joy. We want to be shaped by joy and live by joy. So would we experience that even in these moments as we look at this poem, this prophetic poem that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Isaiah saw and penned for us. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. So during this season, this time, um, one of the traditions, there are many traditions, and one of the traditions is uh, cards, Christmas cards being sent, uh, whether it's a family picture uh, or and also maybe a family newsletter of updates that are taking place in your family uh, throughout the year. I know our family has gotten a number of them in the mail. We put them up on our uh, a door in our kitchen so we kind of see uh, the people that have sent them to us. And so I'm sure your families like ours that are getting a many of these in the mail. There was one, though, that caught my attention. And it wasn't sent to me, I'll say that, but it was, it kind of gained notoriety uh, on social media. It actually picked up some traction on news outlets. And maybe some of you saw it and read it or shared it on social media. I don't know this family, uh, but it's the Allen family. And they talk about their children. Lisa, the mom, actually wrote the card, I believe. So here's the card. And, and what is described as is a honest Christmas card. Landon, our precious and super annoying three-year-old, <laughs> whines all the time, doesn't go to bed when he's, doesn't go to sleep when he's told, cries when he doesn't get gushers after dinner, and most of his artwork that he brings home from the church nursery is awful. <laughs> Hunter, our energetic yet surprisingly unathletic nine-year-old, <laughs> who just got cut from the soccer team that doesn't even keep score during their games. <laughs> I don't know how that even happens, is what she writes. Spends most of his time on his iPad and said his first, his first swear word this year. Super exciting. <laughs> Maddie, age 18, goes over her data each month on her cell phone, was grounded for two weeks this fall after she snuck a guy into her window to watch a movie. Got fired from uh, Sephora tell, after telling her boss, just because I'm on the schedule doesn't mean I have to show up. <laughs> and she wants to drop out of school to become insta-famous. <laughs> and then Tom and Lisa. That's the mom and dad. Still married after 41 years. Tom still tucks his T-shirts into his jeans, which I don't know what's, what's wrong with that, but still tucks his T-shirts into his jeans and just took money from our retirement account to buy a fishing boat. <laughs> and his golf shoes are still where they currently are on the steps after I told him or asked him three times to take them upstairs. Merry Christmas, the Allen family. <laughs> In a humorous way, the Allen family has done something I think we all crave to do to be authentic, to be real, to be honest. And as we move through these themes of Advent, sometimes it's, it's the temptation is to be inauthentic, especially as we think about this theme, this word, this idea of joy. We're going to talk about joy today. And here's the, the, the temptation for us. When we think about joy... It's easy to, to present joy, to talk about joy. Everything's going great. Life's going well. Could it be better? Work is on, I'm on top of the world as it relates to work. Health's well, family's well, kids are well. But deep down, we know there are struggles. We know there are difficulties. We know life doesn't always go the way we want it to go. 
And the challenge before us today as we address and think and learn and grow in this idea of joy, not just talk about it, but grow in our experience of it, is to be people who experience joy in the midst of the difficulties of life, in the midst of the realities of life, the challenges of life, whatever they might be. Now, some of us might be here and you might be even saying, is joy even possible? Is it, is it really even possible to experience joy in this life when so many things are coming at us, so many difficulties and challenges and health concerns and headlines that just don't seem to be getting better? Is joy really possible? And I want to say it is. I believe it is. A couple of years ago, I was with a group of adults and high school students from here at Hope Church. We were in Peru. We were in Trujillo, Peru. And uh, it was two years ago, and we partnered with this organization called Envision. And Envision in Trujillo, Peru has a, a number of uh, what you would call sites, locations throughout the city that you, you go and you partner with their ministries that are already there. You do kids ministry, adult ministry, sports ministry, some construction. You're just doing a bunch of stuff. And I want to show you a couple pictures of this one spot that we um, went to in Trujillo, Peru. So let me start with the picture on the right. So the picture on the right um, just beyond that fence there, you see kind of smoke rising. And what that is, that's a garbage dump. And so in, in Trujillo, what they do is all the dump, uh, garbage is collected throughout the city. And it's brought uh, to this one, I don't know if there's other dumps, but this is one of the dumps at least. And it's brought there and it's dumped. And most of it is burned. And the, the picture to the left is just just uh, basically taking the picture on the right, turning the other way and looking behind me. So the picture on the left are the homes of people that live just outside this garbage dump. And many of these people that live in these homes, what they do day in and day out is they go into the garbage dump and they look through the garbage. And what they're doing, they're doing this for a variety of reasons. One of the reasons is food. They're looking for food that they could bring home and you eat, eat still. And they're also looking for items to, to sell, to, to pick up that they could sell or reuse, basically for a livelihood. It's, it's basically like their job. And part of our trip while we were there at this site was we actually went into the dump to, to walk among these people and pray with these people and talk with these people. And, 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 and then part of our time was at this, at the, the building, just as a little picture over here on the right, this little slit of the building there, side of the building, is a, is a building, this little small building that this ministry called Aleem that we partnered with. They invite people to come to this place and they do a bunch of stuff. They do Bible classes. They do some educational stuff. They do fun. They do a bunch of things there. And it's just kind of loving on these people that live right there. And so we showed up there, you know, one day, and you could just imagine the smell. I mean, it just overwhelms you. It doesn't get, they're just constantly burning the trash. And so we get there, and this is, you know, what you would think, just not a very um, light place. It's, it's a, it's a, it can be a depressing, discouraging, like just dismal place. And there's a, just an amazing experience, a lot of things I could take away from, I took away from that experience and the students and the adults that were there. But for me, one I want to just mention today was the surprise of joy that I experienced and I believe the rest of the group experienced from the people that live there. And I don't think it was fake. I don't think they were putting on a show because Americans were there and, you know, that's what they needed to do. But there was real, authentic joy when you have literally nothing and you're 
job every day is to go into a garbage dump and pull out hopefully something you could sell. There was joy. There was joy in how they related to us. There was joy in how they related to one another. There was joy in how they related with their kids. There was joy in how they related to God. And what I saw that day and what we saw in that, in that place, Elim, was this. We saw joy expressed through some unexpected people in an unexpected place. If you were thinking about joy, this is not a place you would think about based on the circumstances, the surrounding, the feelings, the smells, the realities. It's bad. It's difficult. It's hard. But in this dark, hard, difficult place, there was joy. I saw it, experienced it, and I was challenged by it. And I believe that's the challenge for us today. As we think about joy, can we really experience or express joy in the midst of what we face? I want us to talk today about joy in unexpected places expressed through some unexpected people. Joy in unexpected places through some unexpected people. And that's really the, the background or the sense of this text in Isaiah 35. As I read it, it's one of joy and rejoicing. But the backdrop of Isaiah 35 is war and destruction and suffering and pain. And it's bad in Isaiah 35. But Isaiah saw a different reality that helped inform the current reality. Isaiah saw joy in unexpected places. He saw joy in unexpected places. Let me read again Isaiah 35, verse 1. The desert, the parched land, will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The splendor of Carmel and Sharon will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of, excuse me, our God. And then in verse seven, it says, the burning sands, they'll be transformed into a pool and thirsty ground, bubbling springs and the haunts where the jackals once lay, grass, reeds and papyrus will grow. Isaiah in this prophetic poem, in this prophetic vision sees a wasteland. A desert where nothing can grow, where there's limited water, rejoicing. And how does it rejoice? He sees things growing. He sees plants. He sees grasslands. He sees flowers blooming in a desolate place. Isaiah saw joy as the nature, as nature was transformed. Joy in unexpected places. He also saw joy through some, expressed through some unexpected people, people you would never think would rejoice. In verse 5, it says this, Then will the eyes of the blind be open, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. The lame leap like a deer, and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water in, will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. And then in verse three and four, the beginning of verse four, it says, strengthen the feeble hands, steady the weak knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong and do not fear. Isaiah sees people that are blind now see. People that couldn't hear now hear. People that couldn't walk are now running and leaping like 
like deer. Now, not whitetail that we're seeing run through our neighborhoods right now, but like ibex, like that's the, the Middle Eastern deer, if you will. Like they're running and they're, they're doing what they are meant, what legs are meant to do. And the mute, those who can't speak, are now shouting for joy. And it says those who are fearful are strengthened. They're told to be strong and do not fear. Unexpected places. I wonder for you today, maybe there's a place that it's not a physical desert. You're not living in a wasteland. You're not living where, you know, in the middle of nowhere in the wilderness. But maybe there's a place right now that feels like it. Maybe there's a a place, it could be home, it could be work, it could be school, it could be your neighborhood, and it just is, it's pretty discouraging right now. Isaiah sees something different there. And maybe for you, as you think about the, the, uh, the blind eyes that are open and the deaf ears that are opened and the lame that are running and leaping and the mute that are speaking, maybe for some right now, your body feels like it's betraying you. And maybe it's not just your body, but it's your mind. And you're struggling with your mind. Maybe there's some mental illness. Maybe there's some significant depression. And you feel like your mind is just betraying you. And I wonder, even when Isaiah talks about strengthen the feeble hands and steady the weak knees, the idea there is it's something that's making your knees knock. It says, be strong and do not fear. The reality is for us not to fear, there has to be fear first. And I wonder for some here today, there are some pretty significant fears on your heart. The fears might be, how in the world am I going to pay this next utility bill? The fear might be you feel the urge and the desire, the pull of an addictive behavior that you don't want to go back into. For some of you, you're maybe wondering, will mom and dad ever get back together again? That's a fear that you have today, wondering what's going to happen. I'm thankful today that Isaiah saw something different. He didn't see the desert stay the way it did. He didn't see the blind eyes remain closed. But Isaiah, this is the beauty of the prophets. There's so many beautiful things about the prophets in the Old Testament. But one of the beautiful things about the prophets is they were able to see a different reality. They were able to see beyond the current circumstances. And what they're seeing and what they're saying is that this isn't the way it's always going to be. When Isaiah wrote this, things were not good. But in the midst of that, he saw something better that was coming. And that future reality was to inform and inspire hope and joy in the present. Isaiah was able to express joy in unexpected places through unexpected people because, this is key to the text, it's not just about joy in these places and people and places, but the the reason Isaiah was able to say these things is because God has come. God has come. It's interesting when you study even the form of this poem. This isn't just haphazardly put together. But Isaiah strategically outlines the stanzas. And he strategically at the center of the poem puts these verses embedded in the middle. In verse 4, he says, Say to those with fearful hearts, 
be strong and do not fear. It's not, and he does it. He adds this, your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. And it's not, he's saying, don't just be afraid. No, don't just try to battle fear on your own. But there's a reason you don't have to fear anymore. There's a reason you can see your fear diminish, not be afraid. There's a reason why the desert will be transformed. There's a reason why the blind will see and the lame will walk and leap and the the mute will speak. There's a reason why God has come. Isaiah saw that from a distance, if you will. He saw that. I like how the message paraphrased, by, written by Eugene Peterson, paraphrases this verse in verse 4. Eugene Peterson says, Tell the fearful souls, take courage, take heart. God is here, right here, on his way to put things right. Put things right. That's the prayer embedded in the Lord's prayer. Your kingdom come. It's God, you make all things right. Isaiah was able to look beyond a time in his current circumstances when the world will be made right. Well, God was going to redeem the earth. He's not getting rid of it. He's not like just blowing it up, but he's, he's going to redeem the earth. The earth is going to be the way it was meant to be. The, the desert is going to bloom. The crocus is going to bloom. Those areas that were desolate are going to bring life, and the lame and the deaf and the mute are going to be healed. That's a reality that Isaiah saw. He saw it from a distance, he didn't see it happen. But some 700 years later, if you keep a finger in Isaiah 35, we have these words in Luke chapter 2. Isaiah says this in Luke, or excuse me, Luke says this. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, to the, to the shepherds, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Are we dead? Are we in trouble? But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy. This is a joy-filled message. I bring you good news of great joy, not just for some people, not just for Jews, but for Jews and Gentiles alike, all people. This is a message of joy. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. This is how you'll know. This is how you'll know. This is the child I was talking about. This is how you'll know. Assign you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. You didn't put babies in mangers. I know it seems normal to us. We have our nativity set up. We have a nativity set up up here. You put babies in mangers. No. You don't put babies in mangers. (laughs) You'd be in trouble probably today if you put a baby in a manger, in a feeding trough. That's the sign. You're going to go through Bethlehem, and when you find the baby in the manger, he's the one. But he's not just any baby. The angel said he is Christ the Lord. God in the flesh. So that's why I put this in the present. God has come. He's come. And when Isaiah spoke about it, God hadn't come yet. But some 700 years later, God has come. 
He's present. And that's why, friends, that's why I believe Isaiah talked about courage. That's why Isaiah talked about joy, because God has come. One, uh, one author said this, Isaiah is clear that the precondition of joy and gladness voiced by creation, the desert, uh, and humanity, the, the lame and the deaf, humanity is the affirmation that God is here. Joy is a response to what God has already done. And here during Advent, we remember through these candles, through these texts, his first coming. We also anticipate his next coming, but sometimes in the midst of his first and second, we miss the present coming. That he's present to you and I today. And I believe that's the key to joy. Today in whatever you and I might face. One pastor I read this week said basically that. He said, Christ has come, Christ comes, and Christ will come again. We celebrate his first coming, we anticipate his second coming. Here's what this pastor said, but we often miss his present coming. He's Emmanuel, God with us today, moment by moment, Whatever we might face, whatever circumstances, whatever the doctor says, whatever the place we go that's discouraged, God is with us in that. And that is what provides joy in the midst of what we face. And for some of you, again, the place, you might need joy in that place. And the place might be different. The place might be very close. It might be your house. It might be your family. It might be relationships right now at home. It might be you're anticipating next week when you get together with family uh, over Christmas, over New Year's, you are dreading those gatherings because of things going on in your family. Close family, extended family. But I believe because God is present with us, We can find joy, authentic joy, even if things aren't good at home. We can find joy even if things aren't good in our bodies. We can find joy even if things aren't good in our minds. We can find joy even in the fears we have because God is with us. And at the same time, we know this is not the way it's always going to be. We know that reality is coming when God is going to make all things right. But here's the question. What do we do in the meantime? Because as Jeff said a few moments ago, there's this lag time between the promises of God and the fulfillment. We hate to wait. I mean, imagine being the people that Isaiah wrote to, and again, they didn't know the exact time frame, but imagine if Isaiah did, and Isaiah says, God has, he's coming, he's going to save you, he's going to deliver you. When's that going to happen? Um, I think it's 700 years. And then beyond that, it's going to be longer. What? Like 700 years. And Advent has been teaching me over these weeks that God moves on his own timetable. We want things now, instant, but friends, God believes in the journey. Not just the destination, but the journey to get there is just as important. So here's the question. What do we do while we wait? What do we do while we wait for that day when our bodies are going to be made well and places that are desolate are going to be transformed to the way they are meant to be? When things are going to be right with this world and with us, what do we do? And Isaiah even addresses that, I believe, in this poem. He talks about a road. He talks about a highway. He talks about a path. He talks about a journey. 
Isaiah 35, verse 8. And there will be a highway, a road. It's not a major highway. It's not Route 90 or 80, 77 or 71. It's a road. It's a path. They would have had nothing like highways like we have today. It was probably a simple path that Isaiah maybe had in mind. It'd be a road, a path. And it'll be called the way of holiness. The unclean will not journey on it. It'll be those for those who walk in the way. Wicked fools will not go about on it. And there'll be no lion. Again, in this day and time, they're fearful of wild animals being out in the desert. There'll be nothing to harm you is basically what Isaiah is saying. They're to be safe. But only the redeemed will walk there. Those who have been ransomed and the ransomed of the Lord will return. Those who have been bought with a price, those who have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus will walk on this path, will journey towards this destination. So we walk, we journey, we move forward with this forward perspective, this forward gaze, knowing that day's coming when life is going to be made right. The world is going to be made right. My body is going to be made right. We walk forward. It doesn't, we don't avoid the current realities, but that forward perspective informs us of how to face the current realities. Gives us perspective on the current realities. And I believe at the end of verse 10, as we walk on this road, Isaiah, and again, this is my thought here, but Isaiah, I believe, gives us like a finish line. Gives us the crossing of the tape, if you will, if you cross, finish a race. There's a shift in the language from temporary to permanent. They will enter Zion with singing. And notice how joy is described. It's everlasting joy will crown their heads and gladness and joy will overtake them and sorrow and sighing will flee. Everlasting joy. Joy sometimes feels like trying to hold water with your hands. You got it for a little bit and then it's gone. You got it for a little bit and it's gone. Sometimes that is the experience of joy in this life because so many things, situations, circumstances come at us and try to steal joy. And we have it, we have it for a few moments, we have it for a day, we have it for a week, but then something hits us and it's gone. But what Isaiah describes is a moment when it's going to turn into everlasting joy. It's not going to be joy that's temporary or fleeting or falls through your hands, but it's everlasting, eternal joy. He describes it as a crown that you put on your head that, that is never going to leave you. And then in these two words, gladness and joy will overtake them. It's not like you're consumed with like they, like gladness and joy or a tag team and wrestling and they overtake you in a bad way, but it's actually in a good way. It's the idea of you possess them. It's the idea of like, like gladness and joy are kind of like a carrot out in front of you. And every now and then you get a bite of it, you get a taste of it, you get an experience of it. It's right there, but it's fle- it doesn't sustain, it doesn't continue. But what he says now is when you cross this finish line, when you get to the end, gladness and joy, you are going to possess them. They're going to be your friends and they're never leaving. 
because the world will be made right. And you and I will be made right. One author, one pastor, excuse me, Dr. Luke Powery says this, to be glad or joy, full of joy, does not mean that everything is bright and beautiful. To be glad in moments of great suffering does not mean someone is disconnected from reality or attempting to escape it. But they're connected to something so real that they can't help but laugh, sing, and smile. Did you notice, as Isaiah said, when they enter Zion, what are they doing? They're singing. It's a natural response. And for you and I who live on this side of that reality, being reminded that God has come, He's coming. And he comes in the moment, in the present. And are we making room? I love the carol we sang, Joy to the World. And sometimes we sing these carols and we love the carols, but sometimes we miss the power of the language in these carols. And there's one line in that carol that just stood out to me this week. And it says, let every heart prepare him room. Make room for God. It's basically what it's saying. Let every heart Make room to experience God in the midst of the season, in the midst of circumstances, in the midst of life. That's the invitation. I, don't, I, I believe that's what it is. It's an invitation for you and I to make room for his presence, manifest presence with us. Friends, there's so much that come at us, comes at you and I every single day to fight that will fight against joy. We live with a forward perspective, not avoiding or ignoring current realities, but knowing this is not the way it's always going to be. Where might you need joy today? Is it that place you're going tomorrow morning for work? Is it that classroom you have to show up for tomorrow, knowing maybe what is said to you and how you're treated? Is it that home that you're going to drive to after this? I believe in the midst of those places, we can experience joy because God's with us. Maybe it's your body, your mind, your heart, your fears. Whatever we might face physically, emotionally, and mentally in this life, we can still experience joy because God doesn't abandon us, but he continues, friends, to move towards us. God with us. He came, he's coming, and he continues to come to us, towards us in the present. I want to pray for us and allow, ask God to allow these realities to sink in more and more into our souls today. And then we'll sing a song. Would you pray with me? So God, I want to thank you for this prophet again, Isaiah, and penning and this prophetic poem. Some of the imagery maybe gets lost on us today. And, but Lord, this is something under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He wrote, he spoke, he said to provide hope and joy in the midst of what his people, the people, fellow brothers and sisters were experiencing, the, the stress, the fighting, the death, destruction. <clears throat> I'm thankful that Isaiah saw a different reality. He saw the future. He saw what was the world as the way it was going to be. He got some glimpses behind the curtain, so to speak. Would those realities inform every day, not just be something we think about here on a Sunday morning in December, 
but inform realities today and tomorrow and this week. And I do pray that we be people of joy, that whatever we might face, the places we go, the relationships we're in, how our bodies are feeling, our minds, our fears, help us to be people of joy. We need your help on this journey. Help us to keep looking forward, not, look, not forgetting what's our realities, but finding joy in that future reality would inform the present. And I'm thankful that you are with us today. Help us all to make room for you more and more. And we pray these things, God, in your name. Amen.